Welcome to the Full FX podcast, Currency Matters. This edition in association with FX Hedgepool. And I'm delighted to be joined by co-founder and CEO of FX Hedgepool, Jay Moore. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Colin. Nice to be here again and happy second birthday to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, we are speaking the day after we became, I think we announced our uh, our birthday. Um, so timing is good. Um, Jay, what I wanted to sort of talk to you about in this podcast is is an increasing theme in FX markets and you know, maybe the impact it's having around different areas. Market volatility. We saw market moves in, in December and we're seeing them again in January after a quiet start. Um, clearly, what we're in a situation now is we're seeing interest rate divergence start to come into play. And with that brings you know, volatility. I, I guess it's a macroeconomic basic. What has been your observations in terms of you know, how your clients are reacting to, if not you know, the divergence, the threat of it and how it's affecting the trading? Yeah, I mean, obviously, with Hedgepool, we're focused on the swaps market, right? And so interest rates are a key part of that. And, and you know, when, when interest rates have been so low and, and with little divergence uh, for so long, you know, the cost of, of hedging, which is effectively, you know, what we're looking for, um, has been quite manageable and, and reasonable. Um, but at the same time, when, you know, with the last couple of months, as you point out, with the changes that we're seeing in, in the expectations of change, at least um, uh, around uh, the, the cost of hedging, there's definitely been a lot more conversation. I think the, the buy side for sure is starting to really um, sort of adjust their expectations for 2022 and, and what the markets can look like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so in those sort of terms, then, it, uh, it strikes me, I mean, you mentioned their mid-market trading, which is something that everyone's got very, very used to over the time. An observation I will make is that you know it's very easy trading the mid-market when you know one month cable is you know 30, 31, 30, 30 and a half, but it's a different matter entirely when it's maybe you know 70, 75 and spreads are wider. Do you th- do you think that will have a change in how we sort of you know behave in the market? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, I think the banks are going to need to change how they price their clients, right? I mean, um, there's a few things going on that I think are, are changing how banks are behaving. And, and one is certainly the expectation around pricing and the ability to give clients uh, midpoint when there's too much uncertainty. There's more uncertainty expected in, in the coming months and years than there has been in the past, right? It's it's much easier to manage your your sort of position risk when there's no volatility and spreads are, are and it's cheap to offload your your risk. But when <clears throat> you know clients coming in with large positions that expect good pricing, you know there's there's a lot more uh, risk management uh, and liquidity position management that's going to be required for the banks to be able to provide those positions. And so that that risk translates to spreads and and volatility. So you know, I, I would expect that you know those spreads are going to widen out and and the cost are obviously going to be passed to the to the buy side who are now going to be looking for alternative ways to to execute those swaps. And I guess I mean this is you know brings us kind of into your sweet spot that peer to peer matching. So I would expect then that you would probably see more a more interest in the model and and probably that should translate quite nicely into more volumes. Yeah, I think that's certainly what we're seeing. There's a lot more demand, and, and we saw it in 2020 when when COVID, you know, created a lot of uncertainty around the market. And I know you covered it quite 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 well around the changing behavior of the buy side, right? and, and you had you know a lot of month end 
um, <clears throat> fixing trades and, and swap orders that would naturally be tracking the benchmark, but they're moving their positions to mid-month to avoid the uncertainty of, of the following you know, weeks. And you know, I think that that's probably what we'll see more of in the market where their volatility increases and spreads widen because the buy side want to have more optionality. They want to find pockets of liquidity that are going to make sense for getting you know, fair execution. Now, the, the issue with that, though, is that changing behavior introduces new risks, right? Um, not least being the, the tracking error that, that is created from moving your, your trade date, right? If you're benchmarked to the month-end uh, WM for index tracking purposes, right, and you move your, your trading dates to, you know, even a day or two or a week before, that's going to substitute that sort of that volatility and spread risk for tracking error risk. Um, so that's that's a big trade-off right there. And then the other is obviously changing behavior creates operational risks, right? You're, you're, you're asking a team of traders who are following certain, um, you know, behaviors and protocols to, to, for performance reasons and, and, and change that behavior. And so that introduces other risks. Um, you know, so it's really, I think that the, the typical market condition or the typical market um, trading model that's been out there for ages, it's, it's kind of a juggling act of the different risks that exist, whether it's tracking your operational spreads um, and so on, market impact, of course. I mean, all of these things are just trading one for another. And that's where I think, you know, this interest in peer-to-peer -peer is, is definitely on the rise, right? Because you're, you're no longer exposing yourself to that. I mean, the market impact disappears uh, by having, you know, two naturally offsetting positions um, face each other at a time that's ideal for both of them. So, you, you know, you're also eliminating tracking error um, and you're automating the workflows by just getting it done and not having to worry about it every month. And, um, and you're doing it at fixed spreads that are really indifferent to the market conditions. So it's really quite a win-win. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, in a way, what we I think what we might be seeing here is the swaps market, FX swaps market, kind of facing some of the issues the spot market has faced over the last sort of you know seven to ten years, in terms of yes, you know the buyer doesn't want tracking error, but there are liquidity problems by hanging on to month end. You know if you if you're going to trade in the traditional manner, you know um, if you look at the impact of regulation at the moment, it's very much around quarter end, isn't it? You know liquidity squeezes in in FX swaps and and frankly money markets, but you're likely to face that sort of thing. So you know. They've got this. Is it a question of like you know, if you're not going to go the peer-to-peer -peer route, do you have to make a decision around tracking error versus access to liquidity? Um, do you have to accept pre-hedging? I think you do, and and that's really one of the big issues, right? Is that you know, and that's I think one of the biggest thing that that peer-to-peer -peer solves for is that pre-hedging risk and the market impact, right? Because when you've got large positions, particularly these index trackers, they're not rolling 100 or 200 million dollars at the end of the month. They're rolling multiple billion dollars, right? So they're doing a couple of things. They're, they're chopping it up into smaller trades, right? People aren't throwing, you know, five or ten billion dollar trade into the market in one clip. So they're breaking it up into much smaller trades, substituting operational risk, right? It's creating operational risk in order to minimize the market impact of those trades by throwing it into the market at once. But you're also at the same time doing it over a period of time, which means you're introducing tracking errors. So, you know, I think all of these things, um, you know, culminate back to why peer-to-peer -peer is such a valuable tool for the, for the buy side, because they can eliminate all of that. And it comes down to really alignment, right? Because when you when you trade with the market today and you're you know you're trying to minimize all those risks, 
Um, you know, the banks are trying to provide a valuable service, which is, you know, principal market making so that when their clients call, they can provide a fair price. And so when you have passive hedgers who, you know, have a calendar routine um, for these monthly or quarterly roles, you know, the banks that they trade with are generally limited, right? Even if you have a panel of 15 banks, <clears throat> that's still a very, pretty limited number of counterparties that you can get a price from relative to other markets, for example. So these banks need to be able to position themselves and manage that risk, knowing that they're going to have to be there. So, you know, pre-hedging risk is a, is, it's, you know, it, it exists and it creates market impact, but it's just how banks naturally manage the risk of the position they know is coming. So, you know, the ability to avoid that with peer-to-peer, I think, is a is 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 becoming more and more appealing, like it like it has been, you know, to to buy side firms who traders who have looked at you know at it in this in the spot market. Because I guess there's also the regulatory aspect as well, isn't there? I mean, a, a bank cannot sit there and suddenly wait for a passive hedger to, as you say, hit it in multiple billion you know units at the end of the month when they're going to have a, a SACA measurement. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's, there's a number of different factors that are really playing into these changes, right? I mean, SACA is an, an important one, right? Because, you know, with banks, I think over the last, as long as I can remember, I mean, banks never really priced in credit into their trades with the buy side, right? So they kind of, they, they have a portfolio of trades with a, a portfolio of clients and they price clients differently. And, and some clients provide liquidity to the banks to, to be able to offset against other clients. And at the end of the day, what was on the balance sheet was on the balance sheet, and you hoped that the revenue you traded or you generated from trading was was enough to cover the costs. And and now with SACR coming along and just the general sort of regulatory environment we're in, it feels like banks are starting to pay attention to that much closer. Like, does each relationship stand on its own with respect to the balance sheet consumption? And if that if that does continue to happen, then what I think is is really going to trans- translate to is that there's that credit is going to be kind of the baseline cost for trading. And then things like market volatility are going to translate into risk and spreads that go on top of that. But you, you have to be able to demonstrate at the very least that putting that position on your balance sheet was covered by the, the trading spread that you put on the trade. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, listening to you speak there, I'm, I'm struck by how we've got this sort of, you know, witching hour effect coming on where we've got, Increased volatility in, in in interest rates likely to lead to higher spreads at exactly the same time that new regulation is hitting to make it even more of a challenge in these markets. It's, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting time. Yeah, and it's funny because when we started Hedgepool, you know, uh, well, we went live just about two years ago as well. Um, we have company almost three years ago, but when we started talking to the banks, you know, as you'd expect, right, as a peer-to-peer product, you can kind of go into these conversations with banks, pretty certain they're going to laugh you out the door. <laughs> they don't want anything to do with you. But, you know, what we've found is that, you know, the banks have actually embraced us because, you know, they're really struggling to monetize this client flow. And I think that they're recognizing that they have um, in the past, and most banks would, they're offering swaps to clients, but ultimately that is kind of um, subsidizing other uh, flow. Right. And so they're, they're giving that away for free and they're not being able to monetize it. And they're, because of these pressures, they're being asked to demonstrate that, you know, why did they price these trades so aggressively? So the banks are now looking at, you know, something like Hedgepool where credit is now a service. Um, 
as, as a way to, to be able to demonstrate that, yeah, I'm putting this trade on my balance sheet. There was no market risk associated with it. And the cost of capital was was X. So this is why this makes sense for us. So, you know, the, the, the panel of banks we've got now, which is about 10 deep and growing is, you know, they're now saying this is a great way for us to, to sort of adhere to these um, changing market conditions, the regulatory environment, stay out of trouble. Uh, we don't want to end up in this position where we have to pre-hedge in order to give a good price and expose ourselves to that sort of conduct risk. So, you know, this is uh, this is potentially a model that works for, for this type of flow uh, in the future. Which I guess is like, you know, something you guys talk about quite a lot is that win-win. Right, exactly. Forgive the question if it's a bit dumb. As listeners will know, regular listeners will know, I'm not averse to a dumb question. <laughs> Can the but luckily, luckily we we never get dumb answers. Um, <laughs> if I'm if I'm a bank operating on hedge pool, for instance, can I then have that flexibility of saying actually, look, I you know I have some serious interest here anyway, in inventory that's built up in my book that I can actually allocate there. So become more, I guess, interact with hedge pool more from a liquidity perspective than a credit perspective, and then you know maybe the next month or next cycle go back to the go back to the regular format. Yeah, I mean, part of the model that we've created is is around dependability, right? So, you know, when when the buy side comes in, part of the reason why they're looking at this is because it's routine flow, right? And they just want to automate it and and be able to focus on um, higher value trades, more strategic trading. So, you know, we're looking for um, volume or in liquidity, basically that that will be there not just for one month or two months and then and then out, but more persistently. So, you know, but that doesn't mean that there aren't banks that have that kind of flow, right? Especially when you've got this growing number of banks that are offering overlay services, right? So, you you know, they're providing liquidity on behalf of their, you know, growing overlay books, which are in effect kind of, um, you know, a proxy for the buy side and passive edges. So, you know, in, in that regard, if we can be a liquidity provider, and, and this is what's happening all the time, is that as those overlay books grow, you know, those banks want to internalize, right? First and foremost, they want to try and find somebody on the other side, another client. Um, but when they don't, and there's a mismatch, which there often is, especially as these books, you know, grow, um, they have to go to the bank market, the interbank market or the broker market, which means that there's a cost to that trade to the bank. And there's a an information leakage to the bank. And so the brokers are now taking on, you know, taking a slice of the of the revenue from that trade. So, you know, this creating more and more recycling of this liquidity, whereas, you know, if we can be a dependable um, source of, of, of pure passive liquidity to even those banks, then that's a good way for them to reduce their costs. And the, and, the passive, and the passive world is growing still. It's quite remarkable. You look at some of the numbers out there. One thing I did want to ask you before we go is, that, so you recently introduced a mid-month cycle. Now, obviously, I look at it in terms of like, you know, um, the peer-to-peer -peer and the benefits you bring to me have always been about, you know, taking out some of that um, volatility and market impact around month end. You recently released uh, the mid-month settlement cycle. Why did you do that? So, you know, the month end guys are, are really the index trackers, right? The guys who are sensitive to the WM 4 p.m. London month end benchmarks. Um, but not everybody does that. Uh, there's, there's so much... Um, the passive hedging that are you know index tracked, of course. There's portfolio hedging, there's share class hedging, there's um, you know quarterly uh, IMM hedging. So there's all sorts of different um, cycles that people follow for a variety of reasons. And some of it may just be, look, I'm not benchmarked to the month end, so why would I put more work on my plate on a date that's already busy? 
So, you know, and, and rather than trying to offer a product that suits, you know, everybody in every condition, we said, well, if we can create some sort of alignment and, and, and sort of standardize um, a, a mid-month cycle where, you know, it all anchors around a settlement date, similar to the way the IMM uh, operates, right? So there's one settlement date, but people trade uh, on any given date to those same dates, which means that now you can create much more alignment. And, you know, if we can create alignment for, for mid-month hedgers, um, you know, some may trade on the 20th, some might trade on the 12th, but if you give them a day that actually works, they're probably indifferent to what day it is. It just doesn't, they just want it to be sometime mid-month. And so one might come in, one might go out a few day, days to align. But now we've kind of, you know, we, we want to be able to offer choice without too much fragmentation, right? So that's that was our way to, to offer that. So, and really what we found is that um, you know, while the month end is clearly the month, the, the, the passive index trackers benchmark choice, you know, eight out of 10 conversations we were having were not month end. Right. So, you know, this was our way to get, yeah, I was surprised. Um, so yeah, these guys have been, it's, it's opened up a, a lot of new conversations for us. A lot of people were waiting for them. And I guess it was helped by the fact, as I mentioned earlier, the, you know, that those month end, quarter end especially, periods have, have proved to be quite a challenge for everyone in the industry. So I guess giving people a focus, you know, just two weeks away can only help, can't it? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're not, we're, we're not sort of pushing buy side from traders to one day to the other. Uh, and we're not seeing migration from one to the other because there's, there's clearly, you know, one of the two will suit most. I guess then to close out, I have to ask you about sort of FX Hedge Pool in 2022 in terms of you know ambitions and you know how you think it will go, you are allowed to say world domination, of course. <laughs> well, then you've answered it for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's really um, you know this this year's for us is about growth. I mean, we we've seen a lot of um, we've generally built a lot of relationships. We've got a lot of people interested in what we're doing um, over the last two years. The first year was really about okay, what is this new idea? How does it work? Let's give people understanding it. Um, last year was about sort of building out the product, building out um, the pipeline of clients. And in 2022 uh, is really about sort of landing the deals and growing the business and growing the volume. And, and that's really going to be the result of a lot of the um, a lot of the work we've done on the development side for integrations and things like that, which has been key for workflows and really getting um, sort of sewing ourselves into the FX fabric that, you know, that people are familiar with. Well, I, I wish you luck with it. Yeah, you know, I, I do believe that the industry needs as many channels as it can get, and especially one that can reduce market impact. So, um, Jay, thanks for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Colin. It's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, great to talk to you as always. And um, to our listeners, thank you very much for listening. Um, and we'll be back again pretty soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Full Effects podcast, Currency Matters. This Evolution Series episode was brought to you in association with FX Hedgepool. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can download previous episodes, register for our newsletter, view our upcoming events, and much more at thefulleffects.com.